Roxburgh. Welcome to Coming Attractions. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Have you spent much time in Newcastle previously? Tell me a little bit about your experiences here. We had uh, we had friends here when I was growing up, so we would occasionally make the trip up from Albury Wodonga to Newcastle. But it was a very bit different beast in those days. Uh, you know, it was the, it was the much more the kind of heavy heavy minerals kind of period of Newcastle. So I'm amazed at what Newcastle is now, because so it's a real eye opener for me how how artsy and fantastic it is generally. It's great. Now I expect you've been to many festivals over the years, probably more in a sort of um, acting capacity. What's it like being at a festival now as a writer? How does that sit with you? Oh, it's great. I love it. I mean, I love the kind of I, I love the energy of festivals. Like a festival is a good beast if there's a lot of kind of um, you know effervescent enthusiasm. Uh, around around it, and obviously because this is a young festival and people are people are um, excited about it, it's great. There's always a great vibe, mm. and you get to meet. You know, I've just met Julia Baird, and I've always wanted to meet her, and so it's you know, there's all good stuff. There's only good, yeah, to come from these things. So you're here um, on the back of your first book, Artie and the Grime Wave. Mm. Um, we. There it is. There it is. There it is, folks. That's it there. Uh, Written and illustrated by Richard Roxburgh. Yes. Um, We read that uh, you got the inside scoop on whether your writing was any chop or not from your son, Rafi. Um, So you learned a lot from from the young fellow when you were writing it. Absolutely. I mean, you're crazy to not kind of use uh, and exploit uh, uh, free child (laughs) labour whenever (laughs) you can in this siphon. And, you know, I had an inbuilt... Uh, source uh, obviously at home so yeah I mean I would read him chapters and if he was kind of nodding off or or scratching himself and looking around I knew and I did cut reams of stuff so it was very good to yeah you've got to play to your audience don't you absolutely yeah so it was very useful was there something exciting about being able to create an ensemble cast I suppose as an actor you are able to focus in on one character but you get to (laughs) I guess be the conductor to a degree with <laughs> yeah, your yeah. book. Yeah, yeah, that's a that's a great way of putting it. it yeah, I created an, it, I, uh, my own ensemble cast. So, yeah, you're right. You know, a lot of the time, obviously, as an actor, you're at other people's beck. You're at the beck of the story, the narrative that you're given, and you're also at the beck of the director, and then you're at the beck of the editor if you're doing a film or television. So to be able to... Um, to create something from scratch, an ensemble, as you put it, of players, and to, you know put them in all kinds of circumstances was really great I loved the I, lo- I found it incredibly liberating yeah. I know a lot of the uh, a lot of the aspects of the book are sort of grounded in your own childhood experiences mm-hmm. I believe was it kind of hard to know where the line was as to sort of what was suitable and what wasn't suitable <laughs> uh, what, what had to be left out um, <laughs> well, what you couldn't, couldn't read <laughs> yeah. Well, I, you know, I, I guess as a parent, you have a kind of sense of where where those lines are. I think it's always good to kind of to to push kids, you know, to because k- kids, I think, love scary, you know. And Roald Dahl got in a lot of trouble about this in his life because he wrote scary, he wrote genuinely scary stuff, and. There were sort of, you know, teams of librarians out with pitchforks at the time saying, oh, this shall never be in my library because it's, you know, terrifying for children. And of course, children love it. They loved it in droves and always have because kids are open to, you know, to, to scary. They're open to stuff. They're open to adventure. 
So what I really wanted to do was to create an adventure book that had a, you know, that had a kind of um, cliffhanger quality, like a thriller quality yeah. to it yeah. for kids. Yeah. So you know, it's a thriller for kids. I guess the obvious question is: Are you going to write a second one now? I'm definitely going to write other um, kids' books. Yeah, because I because I just enjoyed the experience so much. But I'm quite interested in drawing in, in um, drawing on quite different territory for the next one. Okay. There may be a character or, or two who, who resurface at some stage. I'm not sure yet, but okay. but yeah, I'll definitely be revisiting. Excellent. If, if we can move into, I guess, uh, a bit of uh, future gazing. You, I mean, you cut your teeth um, as as an actor on uh, well, in plays, and then uh, you know you've been in plenty of TV over the years. You've done some massive Hollywood films, and then really recently you've done Avalon Now, which is. I mean, I, I guess you'd call it its native advertising kind of, um, but but the streaming and that's sort of where things are going now. Like, where do you see your profession heading in, I guess, the next 10, 20 years? Are, are movies still viable? Is the cinema still an experience people are, are signing up for? Or is it what's on your computer? Well, I think it's, I think it's, I mean, I think it's a really fascinating, very fluid time, obviously, in what we do. Um, you know, there is this, fantastic particularly fantastic what's being described as the golden age of television and I do agree that it is you know that it is a really thoroughly exciting medium that has a huge um, uh, huge demographic obviously gigantic uh, un unbelievably big um, possibilities at all times film is really interesting because there the, you know to, to do a film, I, I would say that some of the film, a lot of the films that I've been in, some of the Australian films that I've been in over time, would just quite simply never get their money now. They would yeah. never get funded now. Yeah. Because they're art house, I suppose, for want of a better word. So I feel that, in a sense, film is going to become, it's like, you know, some of these films that you, you see or hear about now, it's like they should almost be put in, they should be screened in art galleries or something. Right. So because I think the, the world of cinema is going to change. I think it's like, you know, well, that's a work, that's actually a work of art that you've done there. So you don't try and, don't talk to me about box office. Don't say to me, you know, that, that this film by this Polish director, you know, I saw this film called Ida that I just thought it was in black and white. It's brilliant. I mean, nobody, would, I, I don't, I don't know anybody I know who would go and see that film. I loved it, but it's like, where do you watch that? I don't know. And then it's an interesting question, and it's a really tricky question because to me, that film was a work of, it was art. It was the most beautiful, beautiful in black and white. I mean, you could never make it in Australia. Yeah. So it's an interesting, fluid time, and I don't know the answer to it. So, just interject, I guess. So do you think it's about acknowledging perhaps the divisions between what is an artistic endeavour and what is a Hollywood blockbuster to a degree? I think it is, because you can't tell me that it makes any sense to put Martin Scorsese's silence up against, you know, the latest um, Deadpool and say, well, that Scorsese's silence is a failure because it, you know, only, yeah. it only made, you know, two million dollars box office for the first week or whatever because that's not a film that is going to make sense in terms of those numbers it just doesn't it is it's a work of art and it has to be appreciated in a different way and I think 
the money people, and I think c civilization in general, hasn't been able to wrap their heads around how to make sense of that. It's a conundrum at the moment. It's a real conundrum. You talked about the, the, the golden age of television and I mean, there's some fantastic television being made now. Uh, from your perspective, is that where the interesting sort of characters and offers are coming from, or is it still there's still you know some interesting offers coming from from film as well? There, look, there's there there are still interesting films being made, but I but I think in I, I think in you know increasingly over time it has definitely been that you know there's there's just so much sunlight pouring into television, there's so much money pouring into television, and so yeah, just obviously in terms of sheer sheer arithmetic um, the the a lot of interest is coming from from that world and to me it's interesting as well I mean I you know I sat down to start working on my second kids book and I got sort of derailed and and sort of accidentally wrote started writing this eight-part series set in Tasmania just because I'm kind of so enthused about television so then I found myself in a writer's room sort of workshopping that with writers at the end of last year and, um, so didn't run that one by Rafi what's that didn't run that one by Rafi <laughs> no I didn't run that one by Rafi no. No. Richard what was the, the best role that you just missed out on you nearly got uh, well that's a very good question I've, I've recently um, while I was while I was working in because um, I've just done a Broadway a production on Broadway, and yeah. on on my day off, I flew to London to to test for a job, and I'm actually still uh, they have me in a holding pattern, and I'm still waiting to hear about that job. In the meantime, I was offered another job that I had to say no to because of the first job that I is is a really exciting one. This is a, it all sounds very mysterious and enigmatic, but um, so yeah, do you want to whisper it to us? No, no, <laughs> I, I most definitely can't. There's this extraordinary sort of cone of silence around it, but. Um, if I miss out on that, I will be I will be bitterly disappointed because it would be um, extraordinary and, and enormous fun. Uh, so I, I may be able to answer that question more thoroughly in a few weeks' time. Okay. So you've got um, you've got a record uh, with Orson Welles as the apparently only, yeah <laughs> only actor to have played Sherlock Holmes, Professor Moriarty, and Dracula, which, as my brother pointed out. It's kind of an obscure one. And, and Dracula. That's that's what makes it a bit weird. Um, <laughs> but I mean, a... you chuck in... I mean, you've had so many iconic characters. What was the one that you perhaps had the most fun with that was the best best role? Of those ones? Oh, no, of all. I mean, you... Of, of anything? Of anything. We won't bottleneck yeah, you on this. Oh, well... Um, oh, wow. Uh, you mean theatre or film and te television? It's or your... It's my answer. Choice. Oh, wait, I'm the dealer. Anyway, don't worry. Well, look, do, I mean... It's probably going to sound a little wanky, but doing Hamlet was a kind of rite of passage that was a really important, kind of amazing, terrifying uh, thing in my life. And you, you realise when you... Because well, I did it in at the end of the 90s, and it was um, so brutal and awful, but fabulous. It was a great production. Who did you do it with, With sorry. Neil Armfield. So I had... You know, it was an incredible company of players at that time. So Jeffrey Rush played Horatio, and Kate Blanchett played Ophelia, and so it was this. And Yatsek Komen played Claudius. It was a beautiful company of wow. players, and it was an incredibly strong, beautiful, intimate production. Rush is coming off an Oscar at that stage as well, isn't he? No, it was just it was just before that okay. madness. So, 
Um, so you, you, you didn't have to deal with his ego then? No, no <laughs> you, you always had to deal with that. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, but as you can imagine, it was a great company of people. So that was a, that was a big instrument in my life. Um, doing the, doing a, we did a two-part series called Blue Murder in the 90s as well. Roger Rogerson. Yes. Rogerson. Yes. And that was, um, that was an extraordinary opportunity, I guess because I've always considered myself a character actor. So in my... 30s to be able to play a character with that kind of reach and um, to be able to say I can go there was was a great opportunity for me as well and and it, a lot of it you know is down to luck I was lucky in that instance because Brian Brown said no really to that yeah so yeah, right. did you, you know. meet Roger no I've never met him no. You might not get to meet him. No. No. It might be, it's become increasingly difficult. Yeah. Yes, yes, behind the uh-huh. it was lovely. Though I'd know where to find him mm. now. Yeah. Right, you guys can move forward. I think we've covered what I was going to ask. Oh, oh okay. Um, we're up to the. Uh, what's been your worst review? Oh, my worst review. Um, well, I don't read them anymore and haven't for a long time. And I'll tell you why. Because. Um, I was doing a play at the Sydney Theatre Company one time and there was an actor who was a famous kind of lunatic. He was a wonderful guy, but he was addicted to everything. He was a junkie, he was kind of, you know, into everything. And we were doing a play at the Opera House and that guy came on stage, we came in to perform off chops, like completely off chops. And it was our second night and with, there were reviewers in the audience that night mm-hmm. and I couldn't believe the performance because he was playing this character called Sparkish. It was a restoration work. And he's normally, if the, so the performance was normally incredibly lively and on this night he was kind of, you know, and forgetting lines and so the director was running back at interval and cutting all of his stuff for the second half. Then the review came out. One, a review came out of... Um, because the company rang around the next day and said, look, we're very sorry, could you come back again to the critics? And the, this critic from this particular newspaper said, oh, who, who, who was the actor who was not well? And they said, well, this person. And they said, oh, how amazing, I've just given that person a complete <laughs> rave. And I read this review and it said, but as for Blah Blah's haunting interpretation, the highlight <laughs> was this haunting interpretation of the role. Of, and when I read that, I thought, I am never going to read, because obviously, you know, that's, that's, there's madness in there. And so, and the other thing is, if you believe it when they say that you're brilliant, you have to believe it when they say you're shit. And that's all there is to it. Yeah. Mm. So... Uh, that was a very long-winded way of saying, but I've had some shocking reviews. I mean, I can remember saying, I did a play um, called, um, a Carol Churchill play, and um, I got a review t- which described me as a sort of mad puppet or something. So, I mean, you get terrible things said about you. Yeah. yeah. Um, you've worked with, the, you know, the biggest names in the industry. Um, who would you never work with again? Uh, (laughs) In comes the the curveball. I'm going to have to, as the Americans say, plead the fifth. (laughs) But I will say that I that I did work with a with a really 
very famous actor who I was so excited about working with and you know because sorry everyone just get, get, get imagine it in your head who he's talking about <laughs> yeah. and you know uh, it was an older actor by the time I worked with him and I have I, I he was an absolute unadulterated bastard of a man <laughs> and I was so bitterly disappointed um, by his behavior so yes um, but beyond that, you'll not get a name from me. I <laughs> asked it the wrong way around. I was supposed to sugarcoat it first and trick you into saying it wrong. <laughs> That's right. Who, who would you, would you absolutely work error. with again? Yeah, that's a good question. Who uh, would you work with again? Uh, well, I mean, I, there, there are people who I always go, go and work. You know, yeah, I've just, that's right. I've just finished with working with Kate Blanchett again. And so we have a long, ongoing sort of um, theatre marriage, her and I. So we've done so many things over the years so we always love working together so I always like going back working with her always a pleasure it's just a couple we've got a couple more um, <laughs> you've got a film called Breath coming out mm. uh, what can we expect from that I mean Simon Baker was at the helm is that right? yeah um, well I think I mean Simon was kind of incredibly detailed as a director and um, took it incredibly seriously and I think it I think from what I've seen, it looks extraordinary. I mean, because he had these whole underwater sequences that I've never seen anything like it. It looks absolutely beautiful, so, okay. yeah. Did you get to work with Tim Winton at all? Being Was he on the set? I mean, that's someone to talk to about the craft of writing, right? Yeah, there. Tim came, Tim was on set for a bit. I know Tim because I've, I've sort of had various uh, dealings with Tim over the years, and he's a, such a terrific human being. I love him dearly. I, I actually adapted one of his books, That Eye the Sky, to the stage um, at one point. Uh, and so I, m I met him through that and we've sort of stayed in contact over the years. But I didn't, I didn't see him that time. But yeah, he's, he's just great and incredibly generous um, as, a, as a writer because I think it's hard letting your work be sort of adapted to uh, other formats. What's your baby? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. yeah. And I suppose when it comes to things like books, perhaps there's a picture in one's head as well about the characters and the way in which they interact and so many different facets yeah. that are your own. And I guess everyone's experience when reading a book is like that as well. And when you see something adapted, you're like, oh, but that's not my character. Yeah. yeah. But he's Who's amazing. This kid? He's not happy. Yeah. <laughs> but he's amazing in the way that he is open to accepting other people's interpretations of exactly what you're talking about. I think he's kind of, um, you know, because you'll have conversations with him We say, well, does, is this character like this for this reason? And he'll think, oh no, I'd never, I'd never thought that. <laughs> oh, but that's a great idea. Yeah, why not? Yeah, of course, you can be <laughs> like that for that reason. That's great. And so I think he's, he's always, you know, available to, to the matter of other artistic input with his stuff, which is an une which a lot of writers are uneasy about. Have you thought at all about Artie and the Grime Wave? Have you have you cast it in your head for the <laughs> the, the big screen um, <laughs> interpretation? Uh, no, I haven't done that yet. Um, but but uh, who knows what the future holds? Maybe a musical. That'd be great. <laughs> hey, yeah. well, yeah. Matilda's doing particularly yeah, yeah, well. Yeah, that's, that's right. That's yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, so. <laughs> mm. Indeed. Dan can write. Hey, he's a decent musician. Really? So yeah, yeah. Oh, there you go, Dan. Yeah, get in there. I'll be in contact. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think, yeah, 
Thank you Thanks, so guys. much for taking the Thank time you. to speak to us on uh, Coming Attractions. Um, Richard Broxburgh, this has been amazing and uh, really appreciate it. Thanks, guys. Thank you Thank for you. being generous with your time. Cheers. Thanks, guys. Good. Cheers. Good to meet you, gentlemen. An absolute pleasure. Yeah. <laughs>